You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 456. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one of the Fox series Fringe. And we're recording on Monday morning this week because you are on spring break, which spring is break. nice. Yeah, yep. it's been a... March is, is kind of a grind for teachers. <laughs> it's just like... Let's just segue into the important stuff, though, really. Uh, have you cut your lawn yet? Not yet. Okay. I keep looking. I was just, I was walking the dog today and coming back and like, you know, it's just, it's not even close to ready. I mean, some of my neighbors, I think might've planted some grass <clears throat> uh, in the last couple of weeks. But, um, you know, our, my yard is, especially the front is really shaded. So, um, you know, the grass doesn't grow as quickly and I don't have to cut my lawn nearly as much as, as other people around because you know so much of our yard is is cast in shade though so yeah well that's nice i mean as you know i live in this enclosed neighborhood so you know i keep tabs on who's cutting their lawn when and and (laughs) ordinarily i'm the first in the neighborhood and then suddenly uh everybody's out there and it was weird this year the guy that yeah I, i don't understand somebody that owns their own tractor cuts their lawn sometimes and has somebody cut it for them other times. Hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, it's an acre. Okay. Which right. is a nice piece of property, but still it only takes you an hour to cut it. So, right, right. and then plus the dude's father-in-law and mother-in-law will live with them. And it's like, come on. Why is oh, he's not an older guy. No. Oh, uh, come yeah. on. See, man. I'm the oldest one. So right. anyway, he was, first this year and i'm like oh my god i feel totally shamed so i better get out there and uh anyway but as as it's you know it's been raining a lot here lately so yeah uh, I, I don't think a week is gonna do it this time but uh anyway um enough about our east coast ramblings uh, <laughs> if you want to contact us with how your lawn's doing and whether you've cut your lawn sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us check out the facebook group if you haven't already all right i'm going to go first this week on what we're watching all right go for it and i mentioned the disney french sci-fi series parallels last week and i did finish it's only six episodes and i mentioned also that i understand some people will compare it to dark and, and that's a reasonably valid comparison. It's certainly not dark, but it was pretty enjoyable. The ending was to be expected. It had a little twist there at the end, but I definitely recommend it. I mean, they're 35 minute episodes. There's only six of them. And if you're into time travel and come on, dude, who isn't? um, It's certainly worth checking out. But I watched a movie the other night Uh on Netflix. I I just felt something shake well, it was only an hour and a half. Okay. I don't know if you've seen it pop up in your feed, but it's called Metal Lords. I don't think I have, actually. Okay. And so <laughs> the story is there are these two high school friends. One of them is intensely into metal, and he's a guitar player, and he, he's pretty darn good. And his father is a plastic surgeon that apparently specializes in boob jobs. So dude has tons of money and a credit card and he's got gear all over the place his best friend is a drummer in marching band which he joined to get out of pe class Uh i'm not sure exactly how that works it wouldn't work in our county but still uh, Uh, he's used to playing one drum so they have a band except it's just the two of them and the guy on drums is i mean he's a marching band drummer uh-huh. So they want to play Battle of the Bands. This is their big goal. And the guitar player gives them a list of all these, you know, just quintessential metal songs. Buys the guy a double bass drum kit. And we watch this kid go into the practice rooms at school and just get better and better and better. So they're trying to figure out what to do. And. There was a girl in marching band that's playing the clarinet, and fine, she's terrible. And the, and the band teacher calls her aside at the end. Um, you need to play the song that everybody else is playing because I don't know what you're playing, but it's not that. Well, she, in the middle of the field, she just takes her clarinet, tells him to F off, 
tells him to F his marching band and throws the clarinet like 20 yards. And it, of course, sticks in the ground. So then one night while the drummer's practicing in the practice room at school, he hears this amazing cellist playing. He goes in the room and it was the girl that was playing clarinet. And he's like, I thought you played clarinet. And she's like, no, that was just to get out of PE class. (laughs) So anyway, long story short, um, you know, you, you can probably see where this is headed. Yeah. Um, cello's not that far from bass and, uh, it was definitely an enjoyable movie. I mean, you know, uh, if you, uh, liked school of rock, which again, who the F doesn't like school right. of rock? Uh, I mean, if you don't like school of rock, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> so if you like that, check out metal Lords. It was definitely a, a enjoyable flick. So anyway, you know, that's it's all so funny. As you were talking, you know, I just kind of pulled up Netflix because I was like, "Oh, this sounds really, this definitely sounds like it's up my alley." Um, Metal Lords was the the first thing that popped up when I opened up my Netflix, so I uh, added it to my queue. My the queue that I don't think this is I don't know what is longer now my Netflix queue or the pile of books by my bed that I intend to read. So. Oh. Okay. Um, I, I've just added one because based on your recommendation, I went and uh, ordered Pat Riley's uh, autobiography. Oh, so, okay. I'm gonna, that, that's next up. Also, kind of in tangentially related to what you were just talking about, I've meant to recommend to you a band that I think you would like. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Death from Above 1977. I have not. They're awesome. Right. It's a drummer and a bass player. And that's it. And they freaking rock, dude. I think you would you would like it. All right. I so check them ch- out. Check them out. Okay. So what I am watching. Uh, <clears throat> since about 2012, I've been kind of wanted to see Total Recall that they made in 2012 with okay. Colin Farrell. Did you know that they made another Total Recall? I, I do. And I can't remember who the female in the she's somebody it's uh kate, kate beckinsale kate, kate beckinsale and uh ben, 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 the, chick, the lady who's married to justin timberlake um oh beal uh Je- jessica beal jessica beal yeah so um and then brian cranston is the baddie in it and uh it's a you know it's a really good cast um you know i think well a it's it really hasn't been available on any streaming service i have b it's kind of supposed to not be very good, I think. So there's, even though I was kind of interested in it back then, I remember thinking, I think it was in New York and I saw it in Times Square, a big billboard for it, made it look really cool. I thought, oh, I should go see that. And I never did, obviously. So fi- it's on Netflix and I finally watched it. And, you know, while I'm watching, like, I don't see what all the, the hubbub was about. This is a pretty good sci fi action movie. It looks amazing like the 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 cgi cinematography everything is really really good now i seen some of the criticism about like the story and everything and uh, you know i kind of get that a little bit it's not as engaging as as the first one the original is obviously just a classic um and you know should they have tried to remake total recall was it necessary no you know, but did they make money on it? I imagine they did. So, you know, like there, there is for all those who ask, why did they make this? Well, did they make money on it? That's why, right? Um, but it's not nearly as good as the original. But it was pretty good, and uh, it looked awesome. Very exciting. Great action sequences. I thought. Um, so, you know, I, I give it a, a a a pretty confident thumbs up on okay. that one. Um, the other movie that we recently saw, not genre at all, but the Oscar winning movie, uh, Coda actually, cause we have now, uh, Apple plus. And so my wife said she wanted to watch some of the, uh, Oscar movies. And so we pulled that one up and, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, I mean, well, it's, it's a fabulous movie. I mean, I don't think I've I've seen some of the other nominees uh, for Best Picture, but this was just such a good movie. I totally deserved uh, the the award that it won. Um, awards actually, I know it won multiple. 
But it's funny because sometimes, you know, like I won't even look at a movie if there's not like aliens or spaceships or time travel involved, right? And then sure. you watch a movie like Coda, which is just about people, and you're like, man, that's that's an awesome movie. Sometimes <laughs> I forget that there are good movies out there that are just about people, and there's no, you know, there's there's no, you know, threat of imminent destruction or death. Uh, there's no one chasing. There's no guns in it at all. There's no lasers. There's no aliens. No spaceships. Just a, a great uh, movie about a kid, a high school kid, uh, whose her parents and her brother are 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 deaf, and <clears throat> she's trying to, and, and she's not, and so they rely on her a lot to like you know translate for them. Uh, to you know, to the the rest of the world, and um, you know, but she now she kind of finds this passion for singing. She starts to realize she, there's a teacher at her school that um, kind of encourages her, and so she's kind of caught between these two, you know, these two things, um, you know, because her her parents can't really 100 percent appreciate the the gift she has and everything, um, so it, it it works so well as just just a like like you you forget about the whole you know the the non hearing part and realize it's just a kid who is kind of mortified by her parents all a lot of the time and her fa- who loves her family on the one hand but also is is mortified them by them a lot and and a family that is loves their child and and but also realizes that they have to let her live her life and, and everything so um even you, know, you you take out that it's a very universal story it's a fabulous movie i just i can't recommend it enough it, it was really really good so cool all right that's nice to branch out a little bit yeah if you haven't seen mary would love it okay well we don't have apple plus i mean i have screeners but the screeners don't have uh, the subtitles, and, and as I've mentioned before, she she needs the subtitles. So, uh, well, there's, there's obviously some... there's subtitles galore with yeah, Coda because yeah. they speak in in, um, in sign language. Uh, oh, okay, but still. Anyway, all right, cool. Uh, well, let's get to Fringe episode seventeen of season one, titled "Bad Dreams," written and directed by Akiva Goldsman. And I looked him up, and dude. He was the screenwriter for Batman Forever, I Am Legend, I, Robot, Da Vinci Code, A Beautiful Mind. Whoa. And I didn't realize that he, one. Cr- yeah. Cr- you know, credentials all over the place. Yeah. It, it looks like he joined the Fringe team at this point and was with them for, you know, quite a while. Aired April 21st, 2009 first reaction i thought this was a great episode um i mean yeah. you know, we we complain sometimes that it doesn't address the overall arc and i don't know what else they could do at this point to address it that they don't do here i thought the acting was phenomenal i thought uh, anna torv you know in her role as olivia dunham was just phenomenal in this episode but i really also thought walter did a great job uh played by john noble so there's not much you know that i have to to complain about with this one uh yeah believe it or not me me neither (laughs) um except for um you know i i think some some not great uh parenting i feel bad for the lady who was you know compelled to to jump in front of the the, the train, but there, she's making a lot of classic mistakes up up before that and everything. Not that she deserved to die from those, but uh, you know, yeah. Um, and and that was interesting. You know, one of the things that that I thought about, and, and again, as I've said many times on the podcast, I I don't have kids. You have four, so you can probably relate to a lot of the things. But you know, pushing the stroller down those steps that's, at the speed a, that that's she's a huge no no yeah i would certainly think and and i think most of us given that this is fringe and we've seen a lot of horrific things in in the first 17 episodes expected her to lose control of the stroller and it go flying down and you know again who knows what well what i expected was a gunfight as she's going down those stairs oh okay like All right. 
you know the Untouchables, right? Well, I've seen it. Sure. Yeah, like that. The iconic scene of the gun. Oh, right, right. Which is You're actually slow motion. Yeah. Right. Which, which that scene is actually comes from is a shout out to an earlier silent film called Battleship Potemkin by Sergei Eisenstein. I think Eisenstein. I'm pretty sure that's him. But anyway, so the Potemkin Steps uh, is a very, very famous uh, scene. And part of it is the. Um, there's a big battle that goes on these steps and there's a mother, you know, walking her child down the steps in a pram. Um, and so in the untouchables, Brian De Palma kind of replicated that to add that element of, of anxiety to the, the gunfight that's taking place in the subway station in the untouchables. And certainly they no no question, you know, the, the early scene was very much, uh, you know, based on, you know, again, as, but as you said, we, it, it creates anxiety in the audience, you know, all that we just picture all the bad things can happen as the mother kind of dangerously pushes her child in a stroller down a steep flight of stairs. Yeah. I, I, and then to compound that, uh, she parks the stroller right with the wheels solidly, in that that yellow barrier, right? I mean, that yellow barrier is there for a reason. Like we stay back of it. Like when my kids were little, if we ever took a subway, I, I couldn't stay further away from the barrier. You know, I, I'd be like hugging the poles in the middle of the of the the, the station, you know, to get away. So um, yeah, I, this the whole time I'm like, come on, lady, you know. And then you know, the balloon flies away, and she reaches up for the balloon. It's like lady just stop it (laughs) well and and i've never been on a subway so i've never been in a subway station but she took her child to the circus i i just thought it was odd how deserted it was right there i mean this is a new york subway are there not other people returning from the circus right right and and one thing that did um strike me as olivia and peter are watching the surveillance footage is that when we see the first scene and the woman's on the platform by herself with her child and we don't see anybody around her at all and then we see the video footage from the surveillance camera and there are some people around her so i guess the the initial image we see is you know nick communicating with olivia through the you know through her dreams and he's just maybe just giving her the bare minimum of what he thinks she needs to get her attention still they do have that one little scene when she's pushing the carriage and you see it suddenly you know her her body kind of stiffens and you see somebody walking towards her and we're thinking like oh boy right and then he tips his hat you know evening little ladies and he goes right on so yeah I don't know, but yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, that's exactly right because we are right from the go. Our anxiety level is like through the roof, right? What is more vulnerable than a baby in a stroller, right? And and through the mother's eyes, we see threats everywhere. Like, so a guy just walk up, do you see her? Yeah, as you said, she she her shoulders stiffen. Um, we feel the anxiety that she feels. We feel the danger that she feels. Um, though she's so anxious and dangerous, then maybe she should have called a cab. I mean, ah, you know, there's, that's one thing I can say here. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, to put right from the start, like, we are on, like, our my nerves are on, like, just, like, high alert, right? Like, I'm very yeah, and, and it is an extended scene, which we don't see a lot these days in television. The three balloons appear prominent so we're not sure what they are going to come to mean but we're, we're pretty certain through our experience watching television that that it means something and of course as, as you mentioned the little kid unties the balloon she reaches for it and you know it goes up to the ceiling and it becomes important later in the story obviously but but of course the kicker in this scene is that we see olivia push this woman in front of the moving train and then she wakes up from a dream and okay what the heck did we just witness exactly all that anxiety now is is has now been 
translate into confusion, right? Right. Like right. we were like super anxious, waiting for something terrible to happen, hoping it doesn't happen to the baby, hoping it doesn't happen to her mother either, you know, just like really worried about these two. Then something terrible does happen. And then it's, it's Olivia. And then she wakes up and just in the blink of an eye, all that, in, you know, inner frustration, anxiety is instantly translated into confusion. And it's, Pretty freaking masterful, I have to say, actually. Well, yeah, and then we see her the next morning having coffee in the kitchen, and Rachel and Ella come in, and she hears the news story about the woman who flung herself in front of a train, and now we know why this is a fringe story after all. So um, they take us from there. But, you know, one of the things that – I really see in this episode is the turning point in the relationship between Olivia and Broyles. I mean, the thing I love about Broyles is that you never can get a good read on what he's going to do or say, because he's always got this gruff exterior and she goes, asks permission to investigate the incident. And you see him like, what? And then, he notes she's been distracted, but he trusts her judgment and gives her 24 hours. And, you know, in a later scene when the, she's explaining to him why she needs more time, and he's like, uh, you know how this sounds. Yeah. And I thought, what a perfect line for Fringe. It's amazing they don't use this line every episode. Right. Well, it's almost amazing. I think kind of Fred says it, too. That he says it at all. Well, yeah, I know it sounds crazy. Um, is it any crazier than any of the other stuff we've been dealing with <laughs> like, well, right. and, and, recently? Yeah, and, and I guess I love the fact that we half expect him to fight her on this, and he doesn't. And the, he's she's explaining what's going on in, in this story now that she knows more about you know that her dreams are actually manifested in reality and she's nearly in tears which we never see olivia dunham in tears and why didn't you come to me again it's a broils we kind of have seen but but there's this breakthrough coming that he he is letting her know that he trusts her. And I, I, I thought the, the maybe the best scene in the whole episode, and there were a lot of them, when she's asking a lot of him, and you know we, we've seen in so many proce- uh, police procedurals, you do not investigate a crime in which you are involved. I mean, that's Detective 101, and, and we would understand if he says that. Nope, picks up the phone. And uh, there's a change in plan, Charlie. Uh, we're going to investigate this. Nick Lane and Olivia's running point on it. And wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, especially when you think about how their relationship started, right? Like if you go back to the pilot and, you know, he's distrustful and bitter about her because I guess it was the dude, right? The, the, yeah. 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 Harris. Harris, right. Um who, in in retrospect, why why is he going to the mat for Harris? Why is you know like that guy's such a, a d bag? But anyway, uh, you know the point. It's like their their relationship was extremely rocky in the beginning, and there was not a lot of trust between them. And now we, we're to the point where, you know, he absolutely trusts her. You know, and even with something as crazy as what she says, as crazy sounding as that is, you know, completely. To backs her up 100%. Yeah, and obviously she's in a state of mind in this episode that she can't possibly be at her best because she hasn't had any sleep. I mean, we see her buying the caffeine pills, which Peter doesn't see her do it, but he certainly recognizes the symptoms. But we know that there's a lot more going on in Olivia Dunham's life at this point that she's really on the edge And while I don't think we are concerned that she's going to crack and go over the deep end, 
and have to, you know, go on disability for a month or two, you know, we're not really at that point, but, but still it's really disconcerting to see her look like this because it's, you know, we're just used to seeing her really bright eyed, intensely focused and, you know, while she gets the job done in this episode, clearly, you know, it's how how much longer could she really, yeah, thrive? You know, with this kind of a well, and also the the amount of guilt that she's feeling. I mean, like Fred points out, like you know, Peter telling her, ah, you know, this not happening. This isn't real. You know, he's kind of gaslighting her a little bit, you know, because it's so crazy. But one thing about Peter is that is he keeps pointing out. You know, you're not doing this. You're not killing these people. But we see her talking to the the husband of that lady who who died in that in the first scene. And as he's talking about his wife, he, she's just you know like kind of wrapping her arms around herself, like almost like trying to protect herself. And you know, you just see her, and man, it's like like you said. I mean, the acting is. I mean, the acting is always good. I mean, Anna Torv is awesome. But uh, in this episode, she really um, gets to kind of show her chops here. As we see Olivia, who is racked by, you know, doubt and fear and guilt and everything. And like you said, she is just really hanging on the edge here and is just, you know, part of it is actually believing that she is committing these murders right that she pushed the lady that she stabbed that lady's husband and things like that and uh you know it's just to to see her try to work through that is probably the thing that really makes this a really good episode i thought yeah now there's also a turning point in the relationship between peter and walter and as you mentioned fred points out in his feedback that peter's reality checks are are kind of getting a little bit annoying given everything we've seen and and so we don't need to belabor that but peter as he's talking to olivia i think it's as they're waiting to meet with the doctor in the mental hospital that it must be a terrible thing to not be able to trust your mind and he has this epiphany about his relationship with his father in the past and that he really needs to stop looking at it as something that Walter did to him and to his mother because it was really something that was done to Walter. Walter didn't really have control over his mind. And, and, and Peter recognizing this, we should see a change in their behavior, but ironically, we don't really see a lot of it in this episode as he interacts with his father, even though makes this confession to Olivia. So, you know, that'll be interesting to watch for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, one thing is that, and we kind of talked about this in the beginning is, you know, we, and Olivia and Peter and us as the audience through them have kind of gotten to see Walters as kind of goofy, um, you know, absent-minded professor type guy but you know, by the end of this episode, we realized that you know he not only that he experimented on children, not only that he experimented on Olivia. Whatever she went through, we assumed something traumatic because she can't even recall it at all. Um, and, and you know, like Fred's going to talk about that scene where he kind of like reaches out to touch her cheek and she recoils from him. You know. We, through her, are starting to see that, you know, Walter is, there's some dangerous aspects to to Walter Bishop. You know, he's not just the, you know, the the goofy, kindly uncle type guy. There's there's something kind of not right about him. Right. And we've mentioned that. It's been a few weeks for sure, but we, we do understand that he does have a horrific past you know for things he's done and more of it comes out and that kind of leads into the other big plot point in this episode that we we get a lot more information about the cortexafan kids 
sometimes what we wake up can't be put back to sleep. And certainly we have experience with the sleeper agent. And I think we have to wonder whether or not this is what's going on here. And of course, as the episode comes to a conclusion and and we learn more and more about Nick Lane and the Jacksonville, Florida studies, Olivia has to be concerned about herself and and whether or not I'm going to be woken in the same way that Nick was. But Walter suggests that Olivia is dreaming what Nick Lane is doing. And and of course that makes sense. But even before we get to that point, you know, they're, they're talking about what's going on with Olivia. And Walter says, I thought you might've teleported to New York in your sleep and killed her. Wouldn't that have been wondrous? Wouldn't that have been wondrous? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And as you know, and of course it gets Peter's attention immediately. We know what he means. And aside from the killing the woman part, you know, we get what he means. And and on the one hand, we're like, yeah, that's right. Oh, no, it's not. (laughs) No, it's not wondrous at all. It's crazy. uh, But yeah, wondrous, maybe not the word I would use. Right. But as she's walking out, it wasn't just a dream, was it? And I don't even think she looks back at Walter when she says it because she's not saying it to Peter or Astrid. She's saying it directly to Walter. And at this point, I think she knows that there's something at play here. Now, whether she's making the connection between the Cortexafan studies in Jacksonville, Florida, which, you know, she's probably considering her conversation with Nina Sharp a few episodes back and whether she was actually part of that trial or not, she doesn't know for sure. But I, I think she has to be considering the possibility. So, uh, well, I mean, Nick identified her. Well, sure. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that point. So that's pretty good evidence there. That right now, the other thing that comes up in this episode, and we broached it, you know, a few episodes back, is this whole idea of travel between worlds which is what walter suggests to peter and and again it catches peter kind of off guard like peter's in this like you know literal reality mode that which is doesn't make a whole lot of sense because he's obviously well versed in writers like carlos castaneda who you know is brought up in this episode and again given everything he's seen but uh, this whole idea of the black and gray clothing, because we, we get a shot of Nick's closet and we get a shot of Olivia's closet. And while on the one hand, you can say, well, she's an FBI agent. She's going to wear the dark suit, white shirt. They all do male, female, whatever. And it's like, OK, fine. That may be true, but she's not always at work. And, and even at home, she wears kind of muted colors. But for sure, when she's in public, it's, you know, the grays and the navy blues and the blacks. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, I thought that was fascinating. The other thing, interesting that she's known as Olive rather than Liv or Olivia. Right. And, and again, I mean, we all know how nicknames work and, and how they come about. And, you know, for those of us that have played sports all our lives, well, used to play sports, <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we know how nicknames you know, can happen at, at various points. So I don't want to make too big a thing about that, but yeah, I, d- I did find it interesting that she was known as Olive back then. Right. Well, you know, and it's kind of like, she just has like a, a different identity for each name. Exactly. Right? Like Olivia is like the FBI agent and, and Liv mm-hmm. is the, the aunt, and then Olive is the the child in this experiment. We don't really know much about that aspect of her yet, but I mean, I imagine that we're going to explore that a lot more in coming episodes. Yeah, and you know, as as we you know examine the main storyline in this episode, which is is you know based around Walter trying to figure out what's going on with Olivia's dreams manifesting themselves to a, a certain level of reality and i guess one of the things about walter in this episode and even olivia because olivia has several instances where she's like walter it's like stop being walter answer my damn question and it's like Mm -hmm. okay 
and and he answers it very lucidly. But when Peter discounts Olivia really feeling like I killed that woman, are you so presumptuous to believe her only when she says what you want to hear? I thought that was pretty telling. And, you know, while I don't think for a second any of us really believe that it was her killing these people, still, Peter, why are you being like you're being at at this point? So, you know, whether there's subtext involved here, which there undoubtedly is, whether it's uh, um, Peter's attempt to protect Olivia from this horrid reality that she actually is a serial killer. I mean, a mass murderer, or, you yeah. know, whatever. But right. Exactly. Like, you know, Peter isn't, you know, he's not doing it for any selfish reason. He's trying to protect Liv. He's trying to reassure her that, no, you're not responsible for these people's deaths, but what he is doing, you know, actually, and, and, you know, again, Fred mentions is basically, you know, saying that what you're experiencing is is not real, right? Or instead of like, not that it's not real, I can, you know, he's not addressing the issue at hand, right? That is, why is this happening? By denying that it's happening, or denying that there's any meaning behind it, um, he's you know almost denying that that something needs to be fixed when that's obviously not the case, right? It's, I mean, live clearly does feel like she has some kind of culpability here. But I think what she probably wants to know more, it's like not, you know, is, is why is this happening? And that, that's what Peter, ultimately he gets on board to help her with, but at first he's not very helpful. Right. And even though we have a fairly good idea of what happened in the subway station, when we see Olivia sitting in a restaurant watching a couple at their table, and suddenly the wife starts accusing the husband of flirting. I don't know about you, but I'm still thinking this is Olivia Dunham sitting in a Boston restaurant watching this couple. And then, of course, she gets up and guides the woman's hand into the man's torso. Uh, I believe she stabs him like three times. And then, of course, wakes on her own couch with a book on her lap. And we're like, oh, okay, again. But Uh that scene where they're questioning the wife... And her line of questioning is just off the rails to a point where Peter's got to pull her away for a word. Yeah. What's happening to me? And then he hugs her. And, you know, in my notes, I jotted down that he hugs her and she lets him. And I mean, it's not like, you know, the, the pushing Walter away or, you know, moving back, recoiling from his touch. But it's almost like she puts her head more deeply into his shoulder and and just again i as we've said many times we're all shipping these two but you know at at this point it's it's much more than that that's the last thing from either of their minds that it's one friend comforting a friend that's in total distress and and the problem is the other scene is where just she doesn't know why i mean that's the you know right yeah yeah uh, well, and it's likewise when, you know, Walter puts her in a hypnotic state and she sees the, um, she sees the dancer kill herself. Um, once again, she sees herself actually, you know, making that happen. We know, obviously, that, uh, well, I mean, in this case, we know, like, basically the minute she walks into the strip club that, okay, now this is Nick. <laughs> this isn't Olivia walking Yeah, here. but we're still okay um, with it. But go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> We're still fine with it, yeah. And there's a nice little kiss that happens there, and everything. It was all good, but uh, but we but we know you know this time for sure because you're right. With with she was in the restaurant at first. We're like, we think it's just Liv sitting there because we know she doesn't want to sleep. So maybe she's trying to just you know drink coffee and stay awake by being up in, in a restaurant, um, you know. And but then now at the end of that, we realize okay, once again she saw it through. And, and then once we learned about Nick and know that she's seeing his exp- experiences. Well, now this time we know it's completely Nick. But as she's, you know, uh, in the hypnosis, and there was that really funny scene when, you know, Nick is obviously having sex, and she's moaning, and Walter's like, oh? And then, like, Peter's like, oh. <laughs> you know, like that. And everyone says, oh, in a different way, and they all kind of realize that, you know, she's experiencing, you know, Nick's uh, sexual intercourse. 
but after the the dancer dies uh she's very agitated and walt's like you have to calm her down and peter holds her hand and she calms down you know so again just like what you were just saying it's obviously we're shipping these too hard but this isn't a shipping moment this is like you said uh two people who are are really finding a connection with one another here. Not to say romantically shipping, but just uh, connecting to, to one another. Yeah. And, you know, for someone that has seen the entire series, we understand how important this episode is because the whole thing about the Cortexafan kids really comes at us pretty fast and furiously. They go to meet with the doctor at the hospital, you know, in which Nick had been a patient, and she starts telling them about a delusion that he'd had that he was recruited as a child for a secret program, prepare him as a soldier in the coming war against a parallel universe. And of course, Peter and Olivia, and I think Astrid, as they're talking to her back at the lab, recognize this as the ZFT manifesto. And then right. we, we, as soon as Olivia says how old Nick is, we know where this is headed and as if we didn't already, but when we find out they're the same age and he was born in Jacksonville, we need to talk to your father now. And we're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And and, and I guess at this point we're, we're not sure how much Walter really remembers. I mean, we know Olivia doesn't remember. And as Nick says, I forget it. Well, I guess later on, they intended for us to not remember, but you know, for whatever reason he does. And, and they go to the Bishop's apartment or, or she goes to their apartment and she's in no mood for his unfocused attention demands to know about the Cortexafan. And, you know, he, he talks about William Bell thinking that it could enhance certain abilities and predisposed children working on perception Perception is the key to transformation. And then, of course, Peter comes in quoting, I believe it was Castaneda, he was quoting about, uh, if you can dream a better world, you can make a better world. And then Walter's like, or perhaps travel between them. So this whole parallel universe, again, even if you're seeing this for the first time, you have to start picking up on the clues. So I don't know that that's necessarily spoiler material, but, uh, you know, I, I think, they're being pretty obvious with it. Well, yeah, well, and they put it out there that there, you know, that there's parallel worlds that are in conflict with one another, and like the ZFT—that's what it's all about, right? Right. So, right. I mean, yeah, it's definitely out there. It's definitely, we we're pretty sure they're going. You know, they're going to go in that direction with this, right. unless you think they wouldn't that, bring it up so much otherwise. Oh, right. 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 Now, I guess the argument would be: well, the ZFT manifesto was written by a madman. So, okay, fine, but probably not at, at this point. Walter brings up the protocols, and, it, and it's funny because on the one hand, he, he says that, oh, no, it wasn't me experimenting on children. It was, it was William Bell. And then he'll say later, you know, when we were experimenting on them, and, and then, of course, yeah. we know because we hear the, the audio tape of him consoling the child olivia but you know this whole idea of setting up the buddy system and as soon as we hear that we know okay obviously olivia and nick were paired together as children and and of course he even says that when they're talking on the rooftop you know it's a big reveal to the team that she may have been treated with cortexafan not so much to us i i think we certainly suspected that after her conversation with Nina a while back, but right. That's exactly right. That the team didn't hear that conversation that we got to hear, uh, where, you know, Nina drops are, Oh yeah, by the way, we were experimenting in Jacksonville, Florida. So, yeah. So yeah, I guess everything's culminates in that scene when Nick's walking down the street, people start following him. And, and again, you and I have mentioned many times that we've forgotten a lot of the details, but I, I think we certainly remember that. And, and um, Olivia and Peter arrive at the building and, and the officer in charge is like, no, no, I already sent one guy up there and he's already on the ledge. And it almost looked like for a second, he was going to try to stop Olivia from going in. I'm thinking, dude, give it up. She's, she's going in whether yeah. you want her to or not. 
But once she gets up there, all of you heard me. You came, and and again, it it makes sense. I mean, I can't remember if Cortexa fans an actual real thing or not. I think I looked it up one time, but I don't think it is. It, it uh, well, the the um, Google Docs uh, will. It, it's in like the spell check there. Yeah. So. <clears throat> well. Okay. Like like the, the words in the in the dictionary in Google Docs. Okay. So I don't know if that means it's an actual thing or not, but you know, whoever's it's an actual thing for for a spell check yeah, or whoever's updating the Google Docs dictionary is a fringe fan. So whatever. Which, when you really think about, it, is highly likely. Yes. Now he does tell her, and, and, and you know, we learned that that somebody came to the hospital a couple years back and said that he had inherited a boatload of money so he checked himself out because he was you know he he had checked himself in and we hear this person as described as a man with glasses so of course we're wondering we don't know at this point who this man with glasses is that checked him out but as they determined he probably wasn't actually a lawyer and you know putting two and two together getting Nick to leave the hospital probably has something to do with all of this parallel universe coming war. So, you know, I think that certainly is reasonable to think, but uh, I don't know about you. I was shocked when Broyles tells Olivia that Nina's not really being all that helpful concerning the Cortexafan trials. Shocking. I know that is absolutely shocking. The other thing, you know, that hallway where um, Broyles is talking to Olivia and, you know, tells her that Nick's being kept in a drug induced coma. And she says, for how long? And he's like, indefinitely. It looked like there were a bunch of rooms in this hallway. You wonder, okay, do you have a whole bunch of other like people like Nick? You know, maybe not cortex but but other people like squirrel. Yes, psychos that you're trying to keep off the street. So, okay. But then it's that that final scene where we see Walter digging through old tapes and watches himself, and he's talking to William Bell. And, of course, as Fred points out, we recognize Leonard Nimoy's voice. And they're discussing the fire damage that Olive apparently caused as a child. I mean, I'm assuming because it looks like the walls are all charred. Right, yeah, there's definitely scorch marks all over the room. Right, yeah. so is uh, she like a little fire starter? Is is this a little homage to Stephen King? And, and uh, who was it, Drew Barrymore? Is that who played in the movie? I think Drew Barrymore, I believe, yeah. yes. I'm not 100% sure, but okay. I think so. But, you know, we hear that they're not sure whether there were casualties. And I'm thinking, well, this is like Walter's first lab fire. and And clearly... You know, he is experimenting on children, despite, as we said, despite what he tells Olivia. Oh, it wasn't me. It was William Bell, and and we disagreed on, you know, how we should proceed. Well, clearly you didn't disagree that much because we hear her – we hear him trying to console the six-year-old Olive sitting in a corner, it looks like, just probably terrified because she probably has no idea what just happened. So Yeah, well, and, you know, he does that line that – I'm sorry – kick the mic stand um that line that he mentions before you know where he says often when we experimented on children it appears like wait can we just stop right there and analyze that sentence for a second because you know it's that word often you know like so this wasn't even the only time like that experimenting on children just as you said despite what what he claims it's it's something that they definitely did and did you know as he says often so all right, anything else you want to bring up before we get to the feedback? Well, there's the, the creepy wall that Nick has in his apartment. Yes. Right, with all the thread connecting stuff and everything like that. You know, it's tough to get a joke out of a lady falling headfirst from a building into a a, a car. But Walter goes, uh, oh, I hope Agent Dunham meant to do that. <laughs> yeah. Like – it's kind of funny, but it's like, it's horrific. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I'm still at a, 
I, I still have mixed emotions about that because that was a pretty terrible scene. But yet they uh, they got they managed to get a joke out of it. So I don't know. That was just something. Uh, and you know, it, it seems like Ella is now going to be you know, or at least the last couple episodes it seems like she's like the thematic mouthpiece for the episode. Yes, right? like last one is like our our monsters real, and this one she's like. We are worried about her bad dreams and everything. So, um, you know, if we're even wondering about the the thematic focus of a of the episode, just wait till the end with uh, Ella and Liv are together, and we'll we'll get it there. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably. I, I didn't know if we should mention Leonard Nimoy. I mean, I I knew it was Leonard Nimoy. It is distinctly his voice. Did I recognize it as Leonard Nimoy's voice the first time I saw this episode? I can't say, but it, I mean, it totally does sound like him. So, you know, yeah, I guess. Um, I think that's about it for me. That guy. Okay. Let's get to the feedback section. And we heard from our newest Patreon supporter, and that would be Bert turns out bert is from the netherlands as well so he checks in and says dear dave and wayne like fred i'm a listener from the netherlands i'm not on social media anymore so i won't be joining the facebook group but thought i'd send you guys an email i'm really enjoying your coverage of fringe i watched it when it came out at the time and i've already watched ahead and am now at season four i'm jealous I had forgotten so much yeah. of the plot and twists and i remember being frustrated about the reset that happens after season three, but watching it again feels much more natural and a part of the story than how I remembered it. Also, I have a recommendation for you guys, a brand new show called Severance on Apple TV Plus, starring Adam Scott from Parks and Rec, John Turturro, Patricia Arquette, among others. It's a sci-fi show about a slightly different reality where people can separate or sever their work experience from the rest of their lives by implanting a cop into their brain it's a bizarre concept beautifully explored in this series first season just finished so you guys can binge the whole show at once or maybe it's a good fit for the podcast to me it's the best show of this year so far only nine episodes about 40 to 60 minutes each thanks for creating an awesome podcast and maybe i'll be in touch again sometime soon i'm moving next month so i'll be focusing on that for now Bert, thank you for checking in. And, you know, I, I have mentioned I don't have Apple TV Plus, but I, I have uh, screeners. And I sat down uh, yesterday to start to watch it. And I kept getting interrupted. The phone would ring and then my wife would come down with something that was important. And then the phone would ring again. So I only saw about the first few minutes of it. I love Adam Scott. He He's uh yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, he's great. He's so I definitely will be checking that out. So, uh, yeah, I think so too. That that's one I've kind of been, you know, that uh, I've been thinking about maybe doing that one. So, uh, yeah, it's a strong possibility. Okay. I like it. Uh, I like your name too, Bert. It's also my father's name is Bert as well. So, well done cool. and uh, good luck with your move. That's I don't envy you oh that. God, no. uh, I remember. <laughs> All right, well, we also heard from Fred this week via audio, so let's take a listen to what Fred's got for us, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Fringe Season 1, Episode 17. I gave this episode a 8 on IMDb. I was very much doubting between a 7 and an 8. And that was mainly because the far-fetchedness of the story. On the other hand, it's fringe and you have to accept that. And there were some very, very good water lines in it. There was a very good interaction between Broyles and Olivia. And it gave us some insights into what happened in Jacksonville with Olivia when she was younger. Although the VHS tape that Walter finds at the end of the episode is of course very much disturbing. I found the constant reality checks of Peter a little annoying. Constantly saying you're just dreaming, you're just dead, you're just dead. Whereas after 16 episodes of Fringe he should know better what is all possible 
in this fringe world. Fortunately, he did support her as always, but it becomes a bit a trope to be against it or to be the realistic person or to constantly say that Walter is crazy. Even Broyles is better in adapting to Olivia than Peter is. Very cool to hear the very recognizable voice of Leonard Nimoy here as William Bell. And it gives a little strange feeling to hear Ella talk about vaccinations. You immediately would expect some deeper meaning here or some follow-up story. And probably in 2008 it was just uh, a piece of conversation between her and and live on a semi-scientific level. There was one very strange scene and that was 30 minutes into the episode where Walter is telling that he did his experiments on children with William Bell and that they did that in pairs so that these children could support each other. And then he is shortly touching Olivia's cheek and she resents it and goes back and I thought, what's, what's happening there? The way he touches her is perhaps the way you try to comfort a little girl that's in stress. And she has perhaps, well, perhaps not a memory, but a kind of feeling so that Walter gives here information about what happened to her. And just far, far behind in her brain, she recognizes something of that or the horrors that happened to her. And afterwards, seeing what Walter watched on the VHS tape, I thought perhaps he realizes he knew Olivia as a child and had a connection with his child. And the way he touched her is like perhaps he would touch or to comfort a little girl in stress. If it's not that, I think it's a very strange scene. Okay, that will be all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, so uh, what do you think about Fred's feedback that we haven't talked about? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple of things that we've touched on. Um, you know, yeah, Fred, it definitely, it's far-fetched for sure. Um, but that's, as you as you yourself said, that's kind of like the modus operandi of, of Fringe, is that they... Uh, they live in the region of, of far-fetched. So. And that's kind of like one of the things, is just kind of letting yourself go to that. You know, just like giving in to the, the craziness of Fringe is, is kind of part of the, the liberating experience of watching this show. Um, I think we talked about, we, I agree with you about like Peter's role is kind of, it's, it's getting a little old, right? Like by this point, him cutting in with the, you know, the snarky comment about Walter and, Things like that. Uh, it, it's you know we're probably. I, I think we're all at the point where we're like okay, let's let's start doing something with Peter rather than just being the guy who's skeptical of everything all the time. Yeah, you know. Again, it's, it's funny to see with Ellen and vaccinations, which at the time probably not really much me- meant much of anything, but uh, nowadays, obviously, it uh, we see it through a different lens. Uh, uh, nowadays and everything. So, but good on you, Rachel, for getting your daughter vaccinated and everything. In terms of letter grades, now Fred mentions giving it a, an eight, although he considered a seven on the IMDb. I I guess I would disagree quite vociferously. I, I mean, I think it's a, a solid A episode. If I was giving it a grade, you know, one to ten, I'd probably go nine rather than ten out of ten. But I mean, a solid nine for me. Yeah. Well, are, are we doing out of 10 now? No, no. Well, I'm just saying, no, I, I'm giving it I just could, Yeah, I, I was thinking maybe an A minus just because, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was a really, really good episode. Um, I just don't know if it's as good as some of those ones we've created A before. Okay. Um, but, uh Yeah. So, but then I don't really have. I think about the justification for giving it an A minus. I can't really think of what uh, what that would be. Okay. I can't really think of anything. So maybe I'll go with you. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you convince me this time okay. that I'll grade up for once and I'll, I'll give it the, the solid A. Okay, cool. 
All right, well, let's head. I liked it a lot. It was a really good episode. All right, good. All right, well, let's head over to the spoiler zone. And as we remind you guys each week, if you haven't seen the entire series, stop now. Uh, you know, we mentioned a few minutes ago whether or not pointing out that that was Leonard Nimoy's voice as William Bell was a spoiler. I mean, the character of William Bell is clearly not a spoiler. You know, we, we've learned right. a lot about his relationship with Walter and massive dynamic and all of that. Uh, you know, I think, I, I don't know how much common knowledge it was that Leonard Nimoy was going to be William Bell back at the time. But, but like you said, I mean, his voice is pretty distinctive and I would certainly think most yeah. sci-fi fans recognize Leonard Nimoy's voice. So I don't know, you know, I don't think that's a, a big yeah, spoiler. But you know what? I, I, I do remember, the first time that we see Larry Nimoy as William Bell, and it's like a oh yeah, I remember being like what? So actually, I can I can pretty definitively say that the first time I saw this, I did not recognize that voice as as Larry Nimoy's because I remember when they first showed him, I was like my head just exploded. But they, yeah, so they give you a nugget there, but probably your casual TV watcher like me is just going to like kind of it's just going to go over their head because they're not going to really think about it too much um and then when you actually see him it's just like whoa but yeah right so cool. right i mean we're not revealing any plot details about william bell no. so yeah, okay whatever now during the course of the main discussion we, we pointed out all of these hints that seem to imply that we're headed down the multiverse storyline and you know, I, I think in the spoilers, and we can obviously remind people that hell, yes, we are, and that uh, yeah. uh, Olivia is going to be playing a major role in that, in in that because of her, you know, uh, experimentation with Cortexafan as a child, she has this ability, as we've said in the spoiler zone a few times, to travel between universes, and the fact that Walter even brings that up in this episode about traveling between universes, it, it got me to thinking at what point does he make the connection between Olivia Dunham, FBI agent that's leading this fringe team and six year old olive in Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, is it just now that as he's sitting down with the tapes, uh, I mean, had he made any kind of connection before this episode? I don't think he had. And part of it is because, you know, like, you know, uh, Peter says to him, why do I get the feeling you're not telling us everything? And he says, because I don't know everything. Like, so there's like real gaps. And we know because he had part of his brain removed. So we know there's there's gaps in what he knows and what he can remember. So I genuinely think that, um, you know, pulling that tape out is the first time that he's able to confirm that uh, Olivia and Olive are the same. Yeah. And I guess now we wonder, with that knowledge, what does he do? Does he show her that tape? I'm I'm frightened for Walter's safety if he does show her that tape. <laughs> yeah, because she has a gun. Well, is it is it yeah, right? is it something that she doesn't know that at this point though? Right? Like I, I think now she's kind of realizing. Yeah, I for sure I was one of those kids i was i was experimented on i was dosed with cortexafan i'm you know she's at this point pretty sure of it so i don't know if the tape is gonna really reveal anything to her that she probably at this point doesn't really know already well, yeah but i and we don't have a clear handle on how cortexafan affected individual children you know i mean does olivia have the same ability to send thoughts to nick because they were paired as a child or or right. was that yeah. kind of his thing i mean certainly the implication in the video is that olivia has the ability to start fires with her mind i mean unless we're to believe that she took a match and did it the way any six-year-old yeah. that starts a fire may have done i, I mean i, I don't yeah. think we get that idea given everything else we're we're learning about the cortexafan trials 
So well, it just seemed like there was like this corner of the wall that wasn't scorched. That's where she was sitting, right. and everything else around that little area was, if if I recall that scene. Right. So um, we definitely get a sense that yeah, this was not something done with like a a match the can of hairspray. Right. This was something that she right yeah you know, did herself. right. So does Olivia Dunham remember that aspect of the trials? I find that hard to believe at this point. I don't think she really has any. No, she has no recollection yeah, of it at right. all. Well, she says that the Nick, Nick says, Olive, you came. And she's basically like, I, I don't recognize you, dude. You know, like even at this point, you'd think like that would like jar something in her memory. But even seeing him, she's got nothing, right? Right. And, and I don't remember whether Walter shows her the videotape. Now, maybe he shows it to Peter to ask his opinion whether he should show it to Olivia. And I would think Peter's advice would be, yeah, she deserves to know. So yeah. I, I don't remember what they do. So uh, I'm looking forward I, to I don't either. Uh, the next episode. But, uh, I mean, that's all I've got for the spoiler zone. I mean, that was, I guess, quite a bit. But Yeah, I mean, well, you had mentioned the, 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 the quote that Peter said about if you could dream a better world, you can make a better world. And, you know, while it says a travel between them. Um, so, and then Peter at that was like, like, like what, you know, like, so, you know, his, again, his reaction to what Walter says um, is I guess normal for Peter, but also when we know that Peter is a child that has traveled between the two worlds, Walter has traveled between the two worlds. Olivia can travel between this, you know, it, it, it bears more relevance that it kind of, like puts a little flag on it, I guess Peter's reaction to say, Oh, in case you weren't paying attention, that line was pretty important. Well, you know? well, yeah. And also let's not forget David Robert Jones and Peter's awareness that Walter was working on a time machine. And while it didn't work as a time machine, it did allow somebody to teleport. So, you know, is traveling between worlds really that much of a leap? I yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, not, I, I'd say not really. <laughs> so, anyway, that's all I've got. Yeah, I think that's all I've got too. Okay. Well, just a, a quick reminder for those of you that have hung around for the spoiler zone after we finish with season one of Fringe, and there are three episodes to go, we will be taking a look at season two of Be Foreigners, which I am excited as hell to uh, cover. I can't wait to do that. But, That'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Fringe. Anything going on in your genre TV world? Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about episode 18 of season one of Fringe. But until then. You know, Dave, I, I don't want you to, to be worried about all, all the talk on, on Facebook and Twitter and everything about people asking when I'm going to branch out and when I'm going to do like a solo podcast. Cause I just wanted to share you, Dave, that you're a crucial part of this operation. You are very valuable to me. <laughs>